I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there, you're listening to Flop Culture, a podcast all about flops. I'm your host, Fanula. Hope you're well. We are on social media. I'd love if you joined us over there. It's at flopculture underscore pod. We're on Instagram and TikTok. I give little clues. We play little games as to what's coming up on the upcoming week's episode. That's always fun. Do you know what is also fun? Ratings. Good ratings. So if you'd like to leave one, I'd really appreciate that wherever you're listening. And if you simply cannot get enough, you're desperate for more content, desperate for more flops, or maybe you're actually looking for some bops, I've got just the thing for you. It's patreon.com forward slash flop culture. Lots of bonus content over there covering stuff that is good, stuff that is terrible, kind of further analysis on why things are terrible, why things are happening in the world of celebrity, pop culture, and everything in between. I love it over there. I'd love if you could join. You get minimum two bonus episodes a month. But usually you get more. Just depends what's going on that month. So yeah, lots to get into over there. And more to get into with the news this week. SAG-AFTRA is set to meet again on Wednesday with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers after a productive day of talks earlier this week. So as I'm recording, this is Wednesday, they're due to meet today. Uh, The sides continue to project cautious optimism about resolving the strike. We are now on day 110. Again, by the time this comes out, we might be at 111, 112. Hopefully not. Hopefully we're kind of easing towards a solution. Uh, they're really looking to get a deal this week because I know there have been threats about, well, not necessarily threats, but there's been a thing where it's like, we will have no, no shows for next year if we kind of don't get this over the line. Any of the kind of big blockbuster shows you'd expect, none of them are going to happen. And I mean, I all I need is Severance season two. That's all I need, please. Whatever with the rest of them. Just get the Severance two people in and let them crack on with the show because I need to know what happens. Um, So in terms of what they're continuing to bargain over, it's the use of artificial intelligence. Uh, It's kind of one of the key remaining issues, to be honest, Um, but it's not the only ones. Basically, what the unions are looking for, the union is not seeking to forbid studios from using AI to create digital doubles, like we talked about in the, the episode of Black Mirror that was done recently. Basically, what they want is language guaranteeing, consent, and minimum compensation for such use. So if it does happen... It's not being sprung on them. They are consenting to it happening and they're obviously being compensated fairly for it. Um, The union is also seeking to restrict AI training on past work and has asked for a provision giving the union a veto over AI uses. So that's kind of the main issue. As I said, not the only one. Hopefully, hopefully we're getting to the end of this because we need need some TV girls. But people also need to be paid fairly for what they're doing and they need to feel protected within their jobs. So... 
right on. Right on, actors, right on. Speaking of actors, <laughs> we're about to talk about a motion picture which features actors, and potentially that's the nicest thing I can say about this film. Let's talk. A Space Jam sequel or reboot should have been a slam dunk at the box office and beyond. So beloved is the original film, by myself included. From the moment Space Jam and New Legacy was announced, expectations were sky high. But were they too high? Or could this new execution simply never capture the magic of the original? Joining me to discuss is writer and theatre maker P. Deneen. Enjoy! Deneen, you are so welcome to Flop Culture. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Fanula. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on this season and to talk about a flop that has evaded me for a while, despite how much I liked the original, like loved, 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 loved the original. So what did you choose as your flop? I chose Space Jam, A New Legacy. Okay. And why did you choose that? So I chose it because, like you, I love the original. I was five when the original came out, so I was kind of peak age to appreciate Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny together at last. (laughs) Um, And then when the the second one came out, it was in the height of COVID. Mm. It was, I think, July 2020. And my brother and I went to see it in the cinema. I think it was like our first cinema trip since lockdowns had started and all of that really weird vibes you know like distancing all of that business but like got a tango ice blast sat down and embraced what is a bizarre and very delayed sequel (laughs) um but yeah I think there's like a lot of nostalgia attached to it for me in my love for the original I loved it. Like I, I had it on cassette and I played it to death. Like I can, and I regularly bring up. Do you ever have one of those quotes in a movie where it's like you'd bring it up in whatever context? Like it doesn't oh, matter. Completely. Mine is. I want to stay home and bake cookies with you. <laughs> Does it like whatever? It doesn't matter. I will say it. I just, I loved it. I was God. I don't know how old I was when it came out, but I think it was more. I think they got the video for my brother and then, I don't know, I ended up watching it because I was more a cartoon person, not necessarily a sports person, but he would have been really into basketball. And I just, I loved it. It felt like the stakes were high. It was genuinely funny. It actually made me care about Michael Jordan and like basketball and Charles Barkley and all these people. But I mean, then you get to this movie and it's... I mean, a different kettle of fish altogether. What's what's it about? How is it different to uh, the original Space Jam? So I think, as you said there, the original one, like, even as a kid, like, I knew nothing about basketball, but even as a five-year-old, I knew what Michael Jordan represented. Like, he was so famous and such a an icon in the truest sense that he transcended what a, a sports person usually represented. And I could buy into it, and it's very easy to understand, okay, here's some basketball players, they need to win a match, they need to partner with the Looney Tunes, great, I'm in. Perfect. In this one... <laughs> Um, so the the antagonist is an algorithm. Um, hate it. Oh my god! The an algorithm. I, I know. Right. The minute I heard it, I was like, I hate this. <laughs> I hate it, this. It feels like the film has been written by someone who once had the idea of video games explained to them by their grandchild, <laughs> and like thought, okay, algorithm. That's like a vaguely computery sounding word, and then getting Don Cheadle like one of the most talented film actors of his generation to just like take the paycheck and do his best to really hammer home the idea that an algorithm who I think in the fiction of the movie is working for Warner Brothers Mm. who wants to get LeBron James to be in sort of various Warner Brothers properties so that they can make money um, gets in touch with the Warner Brothers executives because in this movie, an algorithm can directly contact the Warner Brothers executives. Yeah, Don Cheadle just sends Sarah Silverman an email yeah. as this technological <laughs> entity out in, out of nowhere. Sarah Silverman gets this email being like, great idea, algorithm. It's like, <laughs> oh my, I had my head in my hands. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Like. It's so wild. And the, the sort of like um, backstory we get to LeBron James at the beginning where he's playing a 
a basketball game and he's kind of like goofing off slightly and he's playing a, an old style Game Boy that a friend gifts him and his coach is like, you need to get your head in the game. You can't distract yourself with these kinds of things. So then in the future, LeBron hates the fact that his son is interested in video games and wants to be a coder and all of this stuff. Like, again, comparing it to the original in the first Space Jam, it's like the cold open is Michael Jordan sort of shooting hoops with his dad in the back garden and he doesn't want to go to bed because he loves playing basketball so much and he's saying, oh, I'm going to play in the NBA and all this stuff. Again, re- granted in reality, I understand that. In this, it's like LeBron James has just this unrealistic vendetta against <laughs> video games and he will not support his dud son who is like but in within the fiction of the film like a sort of like prodigiously gifted coder but no fuck that he needs to play <laughs> basketball or nothing else i actually found that element of it if it had been like a father-son thing and the fact that it was inevitably the two of them had to go up against each other in this basketball match in the server-verse, fuck me. <laughs> that was compelling. It was just like everything around it was so like joyless and didn't land at all. Like, And look, obviously the first movie is like, it's aliens and they're trying to buff up this theme park that they have and what better way to do it than they'll trap Michael Jordan and make him uh, one of the attractions. Obviously, that's not believable. But there's something about this where it's like, we have a lot of this tech now that it's, I'm just like, it either needs to be like so unbelievable that I can suspend my brain or else it needs to be like fully accessible and actually make sense because otherwise you're just immediately starting to pick holes in it. That's what I found anyway, exactly as you said, when it's like Don Cheadle is somehow a person in the serververse, but like otherwise he's just a collection of data in someone's computer in Warner Brothers. You know what I mean? It doesn't doesn't like stand up on its own logic. Like there's no sort of, um, there's no internal justification to the thing at all. Like, and joyless is completely the word because like, particularly when it goes into the bit where like um, Bugs Bunny and LeBron James are going through the server verse to find all the other Looney Tunes who are sort of within other Warner Brothers properties. And it's kind of trying to do like a kind of multiverse thing, but also it's kind of, I think on some level trying to comment on like, oh, multiverses are shite, aren't they? But also, aren't multiverses cool? And it's like, so you have like Daffy Duck being Superman and then like the desexualized Lola Bunny being a girl boss. We in, need to, we will talk about yeah. desexualized Lola Bunny because I won't <laughs> stand for it. What, they've massacred my girl. Like it's, I just, yeah, that whole thing where it's like, you know, we have Game of Thrones, we have Harry Potter. And like the first time I was like, ha And then they do it like three or four more yeah. times where it's like so kind of winky at you in a way that but it's also I'm like are you trying to be winky or is it just a case of like look at all of these things we have like we're so powerful and we're so like it was just so it felt so corporate in a way that and I know that's stupid obviously because like you're talking about you know Michael Jordan NBA whatever Looney Tunes in the first one but it's like soulless and joyless when I saw like the gremlins coming out at one point I was like for fuck I was like yeah, what yeah. the fuck is this like at the at the eventual basketball match you have all like the Warner Brothers characters in the crowd so you get like the gremlins you get um like the baddies from the Batman movies you get like um Pennywise is there on the sidelines Rick and Morty turn up at yeah. one point like it's I like Rick and Morty but Jesus fucking Christ like give but me a break all, it's also like when they're all on the sidelines during the game they clearly haven't put enough craft or maybe money into like having them directly react to what's going on so they're all just kind of like doing these like little stock motions over and over like kind of npcs in a video game and it just feels so detached from the action of the film yeah so LeBron hates his son because he's a video gamer, hates right? Him. Hates his son. Yeah. And he is then like he he wants to go to this coding camp instead of basketball camp, but he hasn't told LeBron yet because LeBron will obviously have a fucking shit fit, right? So then LeBron is brought into a meeting with Warner Brothers after John Cheadle, <laughs> the algorithm, has sent them an email being like, We've this really good idea, bring LeBron in and we'll be able to copy him so we can have him in all of these shows. Like he'll be in Batman, he'll be in Game of Thrones, whatever. Like very similar to the conversation conversation that's going on with like 
the writer's strike at the minute, like yeah. the use of AI and the actor strike. Anyway, they pitched this to him. LeBron's like, fuck this. I act, this is dumb, whatever. Um, but he's brought his son to the meeting as well and they get on the way out when he's like, no, bye, whatever, talking to Sarah Silverman. I'm like, I hope the check was worth it, babe. Um, they're walking back out and they somehow get sucked into the server verse, basically, where they meet Don Cheadle then, who manages to separate them, manipulate the son against his dad, basically being like, you're so talented, you've built this whole game, this whole basketball game that he doesn't appreciate. Um, Like, why, like, and he doesn't have fun with you, like, what a dickhead. LeBron, meanwhile, is sent to Looney Tunes, where he meets Bugs. Like, it just yeah. even that, like... Because I remember I watched the original Space Jam recently and like obviously again, you're kind of tinged with nostalgia from watching it as a child and you think, well, wow, like Michael Jordan loves Bugs Bunny and they're such good friends and whatever. And then you watch back and you're like, it's a little stilted, obviously, because he's sure. acting against like nothing. Like he's just acting against someone drawing on a page, right? LeBron is... <laughs> oh, like, what do, what do you think of him in this movie? Like, I think he's one of the core components as to why this just, this oh, just yeah. does no, not I work. I mean, so wooden. And it's like, it's wild because like, I, again, don't know anything about sports, but I have seen like interviews with him. I've seen him being himself on camera and he's a charismatic guy. And it's, it's I can see why they would choose him. Apart from him being obviously a very good basketball player, he's he has a, a kind of... Uh, a charisma to him that just does not come across in the movie whatsoever. And again, I think in the original movie, it's not that Michael Jordan's in any way a good actor, but he kind of has that certain charisma to him where he himself is almost, again, I don't know if it comes back to the iconography of the thing that Mm. Michael Jordan is like this kind of, it's, you know, it's like, putting Mickey Mouse in your movie. It's like, there isn't necessarily a personality there, but everyone knows what he is and what he represents. And I think that sort of permeates the movie with Michael Jordan, that they work around that, that every time he enters a scene, people are going, oh my God, it's Michael Jordan, and kind of commenting on it and reminding the viewer, oh, this is, you know, one of the most significant athletes who's ever lived. Whereas in this, LeBron just comes across as like, like he's not even... I feel like there are attempts at humor in the dialogue, but none of it's really thrown to LeBron. Like mm. his his dialogue is very kind of um I don't know, he just comes across like a uh, like a real wet blanket. You know, like there's a bit later on where uh the Looney Tunes are trying to get him to um embrace sort of looniness and and like do things their way Mm. and he's just going on and on about fundamentals and there's this whole through line about how he needs to be reminded to have fun which I don't know if that's meant to hark back to that original scene where he's uh preoccupied with his game boy and his coach kind of like turns him against video games for his whole life but there's a sense, I think, that the um, not not only is the acting bad, the character of LeBron James is very poorly executed as well. <laughs> Which is funny because have you seen Trainwreck? No, I haven't seen he Trainwreck. He plays himself in Train. Now I haven't watched that in a while. So, but I remember at the time I was like, "This is pretty good." He plays himself in that. Like Bill Hader is his physio, I think, or something. There and they're somehow friends, or like he's vaguely his agent. Something they work in some capacity yeah, together. Yeah. And so they're out together and obviously he's like dating Amy Schumer and he's like telling LeBron about it. And he's very, he's quite funny in that. Mm. Now again, is that because the script was better and he was allowed to, you know, obviously that's a movie catered for adults. He's allowed to have a bit more fun. But even in this, I only have two lines written down that are like genuinely, like like elicited like a little like <laughs> from me. There was the one where he initially gets to the Looney Tunes world and he's like squished down and he's like, I'm shorter than Kevin Hart. I was like, yeah. brilliant, perfect. <laughs> and then also when they meet Don, John Cheadle and he's like I'm the algorithm I'm the computer and he turns to his son and he goes the computer's black and his son's like yeah I know I can see him he's right there like that was good (laughs) but everything else is like I don't know I don't remember Michael Jordan necessarily being funny in the first one but what he was able to do was play exasperated really well and like the whole I can't believe I'm in Looney Tunes world I can't believe this is all happening but the one thing I will say is I don't think LeBron had as much to play with because there's obviously a lot of like body comedy and like slapstick comedy with the Looney Tunes. And I felt like we got all of it in the first one. And then in the second one, it was like they were doing a lot of it again. Yeah. And it didn't, they were either doing it exactly the same again. And I was like, okay, I've seen this. Or they were doing something very similar and it just didn't 
hate in the same way at all. I also think like LeBron is thrust into the Looney Tunes world when it's just Bugs Bunny and Bugs is like wanting to get all the other Looney Tunes back to Looney Tunes world because they're off in the other Warner Brothers properties. Whereas in the first one, Michael Jordan is thrust into the middle of the Looney Tunes world where they're all already being Looney Tunes and Mm. all of that's already going on. So LeBron is kind of thrust into a scenario that's a bit like... It's a bit desperate. Like yeah. Bugs Bunny is just trying so hard to get everyone back and he's he's like kind of pleading and it's not fun. Like mm. it's not fun just to see Bugs Bunny trying to uh, to get the band back together. That whole thing of like trying to rally the troops was felt so long. Even in terms of acts in the movie, it's like there was that and then there's the actual game and the game felt fucking six hours long. Interminable. Jesus Christ. This movie is at least 20 minutes too long. One hour, 55 minutes, it does not need to be. I'll tell you that much. Like, at every point, I was like, how have they not won or lost the game at this point? Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just... Because I think as well, comparing it to the original, the the game sequence in the original has so many sort of narrative plot points between it. Like, there's the bit where they take the... um, uh, Bugs Bunny kind of feeds them a placebo the juice. The Michael, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Secret stuff the yeah. performance enhancing drugs coated liquid I always liquid. wanted to try that as a child yeah. and not, not really getting the point <laughs> that it was just water I was like mmm delicious and it has like um, there, and then it has like loads of really good little physical gags sort of like thrown in throughout it but it never feels long oh and it has the great bit with Bill Murray which I, I suppose the parallel to the Bill Murray cameo in the first one is the Michael B. Jordan cameo in this film which is it like how did you feel about that were you in on that or? I think I knew about it before I watched it then oh, when okay. it happened I was like Right. Uh, okay. I, I remember I saw that, as I said, went to see this in the cinema with my brother. It was the two, massive cinema, the two of us and maybe like six or seven children and their parents dotted around the cinema. When that happened, we punched the air and we <laughs> screamed with joy. Like I, I had no idea it was going to happen. That's for me, without question, the best bit in the entire film is the cameo from Michael B. Jordan. What I love about it is that he's in it for literally like a line. Like that's maybe what, like two hours? of Michael B. Jordan's time to come and uh, do that sort of bait and switch gag. Um, Yeah, I feel like in a cinema I would have appreciated it more but my first post-COVID cinema (laughs) outing was fucking Tenet. Oh my God, stop. (sighs) Talk about flops, girls, am I right? (laughs) Fucking hell. Anyway, yeah, okay, so they get trapped in this serververse, whatever. They're ultimately separated. Don Cheadle starts assembling. Uh, Well, actually, sorry, how does it even come about that they have to have the the game against each other. I can't even remember now and I literally watched yeah. it two hours ago. Oh, I, Jesus I watched Christ. it last night and I literally can't remember now. So I'm trying to... I know that, yeah, the Don Cheadle is kind of like manipulating the son to believe that his dad is bad. And then I, th- I think it's just as much as Don Cheadle sort of decides as the all-powerful algorithm, like if you don't beat your son in a video game, you're going to be the property of Warner Brothers and we can put you in whatever we want. Yeah. But uh, again, that speaks to the kind of lack of jeopardy and that it, it implies that Don Cheadle's character is kind of omnipotent and can kind of do whatever he wants. So it's mm. sort of like, why are you even giving them the grace of this ultimatum? Why are you not just... Just keep them here. Yeah, like. exactly, exactly. And also the stuff where Don Cheadle is manipulating the child. I mean, it reads as like, it's. I was worrying for the child. Like it really does read as like, oh, <laughs> algae rhythm <laughs> is going to do something really bad to LeBron's kid. Algae like, rhythm. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, that's the one thing I will say, right? Like Don Cheadle, he's, he's chewing up that scenery. He was like, I, this is the role of a lifetime for me. I'm bad. I'm evil. Yeah. I'm, I'm committing <laughs> to this like he's just I think I read somewhere that like he was such a fan of the first film that he was essentially just offered this and he was like yeah of course like I think he could have been anyone and he would have said yeah, yeah. but he is like he thinks he's in like a Scorsese or something like he's oh, just there's a darkness to him like and I think that he's kind of the one element of the movie that sort of works for that reason because he kind of knows what movie he's in to an extent like he's doing it over the top he's doing it silly it's like panto villain kind of stuff and it works to an extent if the material wasn't so bad and mm. if every other actor around him wasn't so bad. Um, LeBron's, the rest of LeBron's family, by the way, he he has a, a completely anonymous wife, uh, an older son who seems to be the more talented basketball player and therefore the better son. Um, but also a bit of an idiot. Yeah, he get, there's a joke early on where he gets hit with a basketball in the head twice. <laughs> Classic. Um, that, yeah, it's good stuff, right? <laughs> um, like that's the kind of stuff where it's on the page. Because the idea that this, like, to to go into the production side of this movie, this iterations of a Space Jam sequel have been in development for like two decades mm. or so, more than that, I think. And the idea that at some point in the drafts upon drafts upon drafts of this script, someone just wrote down kid gets hit in the head with basketball <laughs> and then a few lines later kid gets hit in the head with basketball again the fact that a group of adults decided through multiple drafts that that was worth keeping in the the final thing it's literally delicious. man getting hit by football the simpsons like oh yeah it's... it fully is and it's equally as award-winning in my view i mean i think the the kid getting hit in the head with basketball was a highlight for me <laughs> but again it's if you compare it to and i know it's a standalone sequel but you can't help but compare it to space jam because very iconic, box office smash, whatever. Sure. The family there, again, like you were really rooted. Like I, fo- I was like, that's that's Michael Jordan's wife. They are Michael Jordan's oh, children. Fully. Like I was, especially that whole initial scene where they have to go to the trophy room to get his shorts. Yeah. Isn't that it? Uh, uh, Daffy and Bugs Bunny. Like that whole sequence and with the kids and everything. So good. When you're a child, you can really buy into that. You're yeah. like, oh, I would so help the Looney Tunes if they needed to get my dad's <laughs> shorts, you know? And even the bit like with his uh, his wife, you know, it's it's like screenwriting 101, but like his wife is introduced where he comes home, uh, Michael Jordan comes home after a long day and he's like sort of asking his wife what they're having for dinner and you see the dog kind of running up and licking him and all this stuff. And it's tiny, tiny moment in the film, but it kind of sets up, oh, okay, this is his family and he cares about them Mm. and there's no parallel in Space Jam 2 and also interestingly I think in Space Jam 1 it makes a point that Michael Jordan lives in a nice house but ultimately quite an ordinary suburban setting in this movie they kind of go out of their way to show us LeBron's wealth at every point like his child has every gadget under the sun for his coding and his game making they live in this big mansion with their own basketball court and again there's just that level of detachment and coldness Mm. and kind of a lack of humanity to the whole thing. On the casting, right? We you mentioned it earlier, we need to talk about our girl Lola Bunny. What what do they do to her? (laughs) Like she is just a shadow of her former self. This is an example of feminism too far. I'll I'll say that right now. She is it pained me. And Zendaya doing the voice. I'm like, again, get your bag, girl. But fuck me. What have they done? What have they done? Yeah, the girl bossification of Lola Bunny <laughs> amounts effectively to the complete and utter... Like, it's like they've put her on lithium or something. Like, they've <laughs> they've taken away every ounce of charisma that character has. Because I think what they thought was, oh, that character was written with the male gaze in mind. We're going to strip all of that away and she's going to be an empowered woman. But what they've neglected to realize is that in the intervening, like, 25 years that character is like a gay icon the people who love Lola Bunny most are the girls and the gays you know she's so (laughs) camp and so over the top but in this movie they decide to make her just this very like it felt to me you know in Toy Story is it Toy Story 4 where they make Bo Peep into kind of like oh god fucking (laughs) army fucking yeah awful yeah it reminded me of that that it's kind of like this is a a room full of men in their 50s idea of what a little girl wants to see on screen in order to feel empowered. Um, 
but she just has nothing going for her throughout the film. There's not e- even in the first film, she has more empowerment to her because she's like seen as a, a sex object when she first comes on. All the other Looney Tunes are kind of doing the big like awooga eyes. Yeah. And then she's really good at basketball and she sort of says like, don't ever call me doll and that kind of stuff, which is like camp and cute. In this movie, she's just like dry, it's you know? so boring. And everyone's dry in this movie. Yeah, like, I feel even that- the rest of the tunes, which are yeah. like, you are, you are cartoons voiced by people. Like you should, in some ways, this should be so easy for you. And it's just... Even Yeah, even with a lot of the side characters, you don't get their charm, you don't get their personality. I don't know why, it just doesn't translate in the same way at all. Yeah, completely. I, I like, And I have no idea what the... Um, what the landscape of the Looney Tunes is at the moment in the wider pop culture terms. You know, I don't know if there is, like, Looney Tunes properties being made at the mm. moment. I, I don't know if Looney Tunes... And I suppose that the... The first one, when I was a kid, the Looney Tunes were still somewhat relevant in as much as those cartoons, the original cartoons from like the 50s and 60s were still repeated on TV all the time. So I knew who the Looney Tunes were. I don't know if your average like Gen A child has any concept of who Bugs Bunny is, yeah, what Bugs true. Bunny is about. Like yeah. if this is your, you know, completely cold introduction to the Looney Tunes, it doesn't really give you anything to... To work with. Like, I think we get a bit of a sense of what Bugs Bunny is like. We get a little bit of a sense of what Daffy Duck is like. Outside of that, it's kind of assumed that we know who they are and it kind of coasts on that good grace to an extent. I didn't even consider that and it's so true. Like, I don't think I know any child who would... I'm not saying they wouldn't be attracted to it, obviously, because it's like fundamentally a cartoon and whatever, like, cute animals and stuff, but they wouldn't have the understanding and the connection that anyone who grew up with them in some way, dude, who saw like Tiny Toons or something. Sure. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like it's just, yeah, very strange. How does this film end then? What's the conclusion? There's the big blow up basketball match between uh, the Toons, the Toons and LeBron and the Goon Squad. The Goon Squad are back and they're, I kind of fucking hated them as well. Like they'd basically again taken... It's similar to the first one, but they've taken these real life athletes and made them into kind of alien cartoon, super cartoon player characters. And even then, like I felt no connection to them. Whereas like I probably would have died for Charles Barkley as a child. Like oh I probably would actually still I'm now. sorry, but like, yeah, in this movie, so the the athletes who are, and they have a mix of NBA players and WNBA players, which, which is, is to go- the movie's credit, that's yeah, cool. Good. But it's like, they willingly put themselves forward to be part of the goon squad. And the kid sort of captures their data and makes character models out of them for the game. So they're kind of in on it to an extent. In the first one, when those five basketball players get their talent stolen from them and then you get that four minute like basketball Jones sequence where we see them like going to the psychiatrist and getting tested on or whatever. That is the Perfection. best. That's the best sequence in all Perfection. of cinema. Perfection. If you are an aspiring director, give up now. You will never do better than that. Yeah, like, go watch, look up on YouTube, anyone who hasn't seen it, a basketball Jones space jam and just see Nor- uh, Charles Barkley, not Charles Barkley, <laughs> Charles Barkley just like being criminally overlooked for an Oscar like it is just and the dialogue is great there's really there's really funny jokes about him like dating Madonna and stuff and then there's like kind of weird Freudian jokes about like the guys being asked by the psychiatrist if they've been unable to perform in other circumstances and them just playing it really straight like it's brilliantly done and in the, and so and as a result like you really feel for them when they lose their talent because it, it paints the picture that like oh these guys their basketballing talent is their complete world and they're disillusioned without it. And Whereas, they're scary as monsters as well, yeah, though. Exactly, like there's yeah. a genuine kind of menace to them, I yeah, found anyway. The character animation is really strong mm. that you kind of yeah, you get you see them and you're like, okay, I know what they're about, which is the hallmark of any good uh, character animation. But in this, yeah, they feel kind of like they've been over-designed and they all kind of look a bit like kind of video game bosses. Like they're kind of based on things like, you know, griffins or dragons or whatever. And there's that sort of element of imagery. But we don't spend any time with them. We see them kind of volunteering their own images as players to LeBron's kid. And then we see them being turned into these monstrous basketballing versions of themselves and that's that. We don't even really get a sense of what happens to them after the game. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the game culminates in um, 
as LeBron is telling the kid throughout the game and the Looney Tunes that they have to learn about fundamentals, he sort of keeps going back to this move where you sort of do a crossover and step back and shoot. And they realize they have to do this at the end of the game. But that that move, for for some narrative reason, is a glitch in this game. So whoever does it will glitch out and effectively die. Uh, and Bugs Bunny decides to sacrifice himself for the good of the team in doing this. Um, they win the game and it's very moving. And then when they go over to console Bugs Bunny, who is sort of dying in the arms of his teammates, he says something to the effect of um, like sacrificing yourself for the people you love is fundamental <laughs> and then fades away. <laughs> Which again, when I saw this in the cinema with my brother, like big laughs, huge, <laughs> huge laughs. Like this is the greatest comedy of the year. Like confused children looking around at us. Like you, you don't. Just crying yeah, like his butt's dead. <laughs> But I think we do get a, a scene later where it's it's reaffirmed that Bugs is fine. Yeah. Um, which is good because I wouldn't want any child coming away thinking um, their hero, Bugs Bunny, had died. <laughs> Could this have worked with any other, like, athlete? Because I know, as you said, pretty much since its initial release, they were like, we want a sequel. They wanted Michael Jordan back. He didn't want to do it for whatever reasons. And I think they were looking at other people like... Tiger Woods, I think, was in the mix at one point. I think they're still potentially chatting about doing a third one and they want Dwayne The Rock Johnson yeah. and they want it to be wrestling. Are either, either of them floating your boat or like, I suppose, in your head, what does an ideal sequel look like or does it look like anything? Do we just need to leave things the fuck alone? I read that there was a sequel being tabled for a while with Tony Hawk. Like, uh, and I think that would have been now. great. Give because, me that now. Because skateboarding is innately cinematic. What the first movie understands as well, that this movie totally doesn't, is that basketball looks cool. Like, it, when it's played well, it looks like people are defying gravity and it's, it's innately cinematic. And the same can be said for skateboarding. So I think, and especially when I was kind of around 10, 11, and everyone was playing those Tony Hawk's games and nobody actually knew how to skate, board but like you know jackass was really popular and everyone was listening to like new metal and pop punk like that w like skateboarding was really hot culturally and i think that would have been the oper the opportune moment to do a sequel with with tony hawk i think that would have been great uh tiger woods absolutely fuck off like i think like <laughs> golf like when has golf ever looked cool in a movie like that's that's i think what you have to ask yourself and i mean i again don't know anything about golf don't know anything uh, much about tiger woods uh, apart from you know certain yeah, things yeah, about his personal yeah, life yeah. but certainly doesn't strike me as someone who would thrive as the charismatic lead of a children's film um <laughs> I, I kind of want to see it though now that you said it out loud I, I want to like... see it now where it's like <laughs> <laughs> he's sort of coming out of retirement and sort of exercising his demons and the the uh, the Looney Tunes are like doing press conferences being like he's not a bad guy he's been misunderstood um, uh, but I think the the rock and wrestling I think that could be really good like I because again wrestling is fun and it's silly and wrestling lends itself to kind of high campery and like ridiculous physical comedy which I think the Looney Tunes does as well and I think The Rock is what he's so good at as a film star is being like tongue-in-cheek mm. but also making you want to care about the character he's playing at the same time which is a really rare quality and I think that's the quality that's kind of needed for uh, the lead in a film like this. Yeah, he's so good in that genre. Have you seen the Jumanji live action reboot? No, I really want to. It's quite good. I watched a bit of it over the shoulder of a child on a plane. Classic, the yeah. best way. That's a good way to watch it, yeah. <laughs> ideal for that movie. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just... I, lo I love the idea of the Tony Hawk one as well, but there's a part of me now that's like... Because obviously, this made money, but, like, the reviews were, like... Not great. Like Alonzo Gerald of The Rap said that the film barely has jokes for the Looney Tunes, let alone the entire Warner Brothers cast of characters. Viewers who, for whatever reason, love the first Space Jam may well find themselves delighted all over again, but as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to plunge a beloved sports figure into a century's worth of pop culture iconography, a new legacy is a big, fat airball. Like, the critics did not like this at all. I think Matt Stone, who's like the co-creator of South Park, they did a whole... 
South Park movie around that, like during COVID, around the fact that like basically a Space Jam a New Legacy was the reason for society's collapse during oh, really? the pandemic. Oh, I haven't watched it, but I'm going to watch it uh, after this because I think uh, I think it'll be funny. But yeah, people like I'm just like. Leave things alone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just sometimes we don't need things, you know? Sometimes things are good as they are. Just prefer, preserve history. Like, yeah. it's fine. It's fine. I think so. And I especially think, like, Michael Jordan's definitely not going to come back to it now after this chalice has been poisoned. I think there was talk of him coming back for a cameo, especially after post The Last Dance and yeah. all. But again, didn't happen. But, yeah, I don't know. What a film. What a strange little film. Yeah. Would you recommend it to anyone? Like, what's your elevator pitch for anyone who hasn't seen it? I think anyone who has seen and enjoyed the first one, it's well worth watching just to see how... I think it's a cautionary tale in both, like, how reboots can go wrong and how multiverse sort of fiction can go wrong and how studios shouldn't try to cash in on properties that are no longer relevant. In as much as the first film, the Looney Tunes were barely still relevant, but it managed to do that. This is like cashing in on a cash-in. And I think it's fascinating if you look at it with those eyes, if you look at it from a sort of meta point of view and sort of think about the production and the decades of development. I think if you're looking for a good movie, don't watch this. <laughs> but if, if you want something that's kind of weirdly nostalgic, but also bizarre, and every five minutes you're going to just be going, why? Then absolutely watch this. I do wonder how much time played a factor into it as well, though. Like, it was just so long after the fact. And... I suppose also COVID. I, like I imagine a few more people probably would have gone to see it in cinemas. I don't, I think, critically, the reception still would have been the same. But I'm wondering if it had come like a few years earlier, would it have made a difference? But I don't think so. Like I think it's, I think a lot of it rests at LeBron. I think you could have, I could have got, I could have forgiven a lot of the AI algorithm shit for a more charismatic, like actually good centerpiece. Yeah. And he is... He is not that in this, no. unfortunately. Unfortunately not. But I mean, I look forward to whatever his next project is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to give him a second chance. Yeah, I wonder, is he doing much more? I'll check after this and um, I'll see. I'll add it in. I Because I feel like this is like, he definitely wants to be acting more. I feel like he got, because I feel like he got did get a lot of praise for Trainwreck. And then yeah. maybe he was just like, yeah, of course, like I'll do it. But the, the one thing I will say about this is as well, like I think it also kind of, like shags LeBron's hole in a way that it doesn't as explicitly with Michael Jordan in the first one. You know what I mean? I think it's just like assumed that you know yeah. he's class and he has this legacy. Whereas like this whole intro for a Space Jam a New Legacy is like LeBron is class. And I'm not saying he's not. He obviously is, but it was just a bit like I don't yeah. know. I don't think they did it as subtly. I think he's in the way they did the first. He's one. referred to as King more than he is as LeBron mm. in the movie. And I think that speaks to what you're saying. That <laughs> people, and even to the point that his son is called Prince by a few people throughout it as well. Like, I think it's just, yeah, really, really beating the LeBron drum. Tragic. Um, I cannot wait to go and rewatch Space Jam 1 now because that's perfection. Go watch that. Uh, P, if anyone wants to check out your work, find out more about you, where can they do so? Uh, I am on Insta at... Uh, P the Deneen, so P like the vegetable, the like the, and D I double N double E N. And my cabaret collective is on Insta egg um, at cabaret. That's easy to remember. That's good for the people. P, it's been such a pleasure. I can't wait to have you back for something else. Can't but in wait. the meantime, thank you so much for joining me on Flap Culture. Thank you, Vanilla. <laughs> Thank you so much to P. All of her links are below, as always, with my guests. Finally, top the flops. You're a flop. Look, I'm going to be honest. This is kind of dark, but I think it's worth getting into and kind of raising a point. So, again, over on Patreon, we have been talking about this ongoing reality reckoning, in inverted commas, that's being spearheaded by certain figures within reality TV 
kind of most prominently is Bethany Frankel uh, from formerly of Real Housewives of New York, kind of her own thing now, podcasting and entrepreneur stuff, but I think most people will know her from that. Talked about this reality reckoning she's been on about bringing to get like better rights for reality stars. The episode is with Kiki Monique. I really recommend it separately. But anyway, there's been this kind of follow-up to this initial movement and Bethany features in this article. It's an investigation by Vanity Fair, which predominantly focuses on Bravo, the Bravo, the Bravo universe and Real Housewives, right? So top of laps this week, off the back of that is Ramona Singer, another former, technically still current, Real Housewives of New York, and to be honest, Bravo, right? So basically there was an allegation made in the Vanity Fair investigation, investigative story about Bravo and the Real Housewives franchise, that Ramona Singer used a racial slur in front of a Real Housewives of New York crew member, which caused an investigation. And I'm pretty sure these rumours have been going, ongoing. I didn't even finish that season, but, like, I was hearing about it and ingesting this news via social media. And, like, look, again, I'm all about media literacy, girls. I'm all about not taking everything at face value or not believing rumours. But, I mean, this one ended up being true, so what do you want me to say? Basically, that came out in this Vanity Fair investigation, Ramona came out and spoke to a reporter for page six, right? They contacted her, I think. Anyway, in a conversation with page six, she basically denied that she'd used the full racial slur, but that she'd actually just abbreviated it. Okay, I'm going to let that silence hang in there, right? Perfect. Okay, brilliant. She just abbreviated the racial slur. She didn't use the racial slur, so, you know, whatever. As a result... She's now no longer appearing at BravoCon, which is happening this coming weekend in Las Vegas. BravoCon, three-day event. That's, you know, you get to meet Bravo people. They premiere shows. It's like a fan convention for Bravo people. It's also going to use as like a marketing tool and a promotional tool, stuff like that. They're both top of the flops for me because, well, sorry, Ramona should be obvious. If you need me to explain why she's top of the flops for using any kind of a racial slur, maybe... Maybe we go back to school, okay? In November 2021 is the thing. Variety had reported, like this is how far back it goes. Variety reported that Ramona had been investigated for making racist remarks during the filming of season 13 of Real Housewives New York. This is the season I'm referring to that I didn't finish. This season featured Ebony K. Williams, the show's first black cast member. The season ended ended up being so derailed, even beyond these reports, that kind of never went anywhere. And look, again, if you've watched Real Housewives of New York, like, this is on track for Ramona. Ramona has made, like, problematic statements, shall we say, in the past. That's probably a good coverall. Nothing as far as, like, actively using slurs on the show, but, you know, maybe not great things otherwise. Anyway, the season ended up being so toxic... The ratings were so bad. Bravo then was like, right, we're going to split it in two. So you'll have Real Housewives of New York City, but it's going to be like brand new, fully rebooted cast. That seems to have gone down reasonably well. I haven't got to it yet, but I will. And then this new Legacy series, which is going to feature cast members from the previous 13 seasons of Real Housewives of New York. So it could be anyone, right? And Ramona's name was always in the conversation for that. Then that ended up getting reworked slightly to become Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip, Roni Legacy, Real Housewives New York Legacy. So it wasn't going to be like kind of a full ongoing series. It was potentially a one and done series in which former Real Housewives New York all go on holidays together. So you had confirmed for that Luanne de Lesseps, Dorinda Medley, Sonia Morgan, Kelly Benson, and Kristen Tackman and Ramona Singer. So basically, like, as much as, and we again, we talk about this in the Patreon episode about whether Bethany's crusade is a right one or a good one or kind of, you know, her ulterior motives maybe for putting forward this argument around reality TV stars and their treatment. The issue with this is, this is like damning evidence that the network knew and they didn't care. Because they were like, she makes good TV, even though she's putting, like, people, you know, like, minorities in active harm's way 
causing them real harm by using language like this. And this goes beyond the cast. Like, we have no idea what the makeup is of even in terms of the the crew. You know what I mean? Having to witness kind of behaviour like this and having it constantly be excused because, oh, you know, like, she's funny. And look, don't get me wrong. In some ways, she makes those earlier seasons for just how... I don't know, out of touch with reality she is. But there's being like out of touch with reality and there's perpetuating harmful stereotypes, as I've already mentioned, putting minorities in active harm's way, isolating cast members like that, especially if you take the position of Ebony K. Williams. I'm pretty sure she's been banging on this door for a while as well. The pressure she already feels to come into a very well-established franchise as their first black cast member, surrounded by all these other white women, to be treated by one white woman in particular like that and be like, okay, so am I Am I here as a tool to educate these women? She shouldn't be. That's not how this works. I don't know. I don't watch Housewives to look at perfect examples of people. And th- this is the one thing I will say is I have a huge capacity for forgiveness. I think people are capable of change. The issue here is, is that she's kind of shown us time and time again. And this is the thing. We have it on tapes. We have the evidence. Like, she's been caught in 4K on camera on several occasions, as I've already mentioned, saying problematic things on various occasions in various different seasons. So it's very hard then to be like, okay, so you just got pass after pass after pass after pass. Very frustrating, very disappointing from Bravo. And, I mean, it kind of makes sense why others left. And, you know, it kind of does bolster Bethany's uh, argument, you know? I don't know, flat behaviour. I'm sorry, kind of dark. The news is kind of dark this week, even with, you know, celeb stuff. But I thought that was worth saying. And just even this thing, there's been no official statement about her being pulled from BravoCon. It's just that she's not on any of the... She's not on any of the listings. She's removed from the app, which I think is kind of sneaky in in and on itself. At some point, when when does Bravo or whoever kind of stand up and be like, we got it wrong. Like, we wanted to be a place of openness and forgiveness and commitment to moving forward. And we thought we had that and we don't or whatever. I don't know. I don't know how you phrase that, especially if you were kind of implicit in just allowing it to continuously happen. But anyway, 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 anyway. What an episode. We're giving it to you all, girls. Am I right? This has been an absolute pleasure, but more specifically, this has been Flap Culture and I will be back next week. Uh, We are talking about a reality TV singing competition. You're going to love it. Editor, as always, is Adam Shanahan. I'm Fanula, and I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.